Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. If these resources have been a blessing to you, we would be honored if you would consider making a donation to our church building fund. To learn more about this unique challenge ahead of us and to partner with us for a gospel legacy in Missoula, please visit achurchbuilding.com. That's achurchbuilding.com. Good morning, church. That was a little weak. Good morning, church. Ah, there it is. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Stephen. Um, I've been on staff here at Sovereign Hope for about three years. Um, I started in 2016 with our college ministry, Grizzly Christian Fellowship, um, as an intern working for Tyler. And um, since this year, I uh, have kind of taken over as the director and leader of, of GCF. Um, and I also, this summer, we also started at our church a pastoral residence program that aims to train men and teach them to be leaders and uh, carers for the church. And I'm also a part of that program. And so as a result of those transitions, uh, I'm standing up here, much to my terror and dismay. So I ask for grace. I ask for grace as this is my first time up here. Um, But before we get started, I'd love to just pray and ask God to be with us in this moment. Uh, So let's pray. Father, uh, we are at your mercy in every moment of our life. Um, God, you are king and ruler and you are sovereign Lord, you are also kind and generous and merciful. Um, Lord, I pray that as we walk through this story and this narrative and this text, that um, as we we study the history of your people, that we could mine it for meaning and find something that would help us worship you with greater glory, Lord. I I pray that we are affected. Lord, I pray that we listen to your word. Lord, give us wisdom, give us discernment. Um, and just help us. Help us in our weaknesses. Help us in, um, just help us this morning. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So as Tyler just read, we're going to be uh, going through the first chapter of the book of Joshua. Uh, and this book is a, a, is, a, is a historical text, meaning it's like a narrative. It's a, it's a telling of the history of, of, of Israel, of God's people. And um, if we're going to drop kind of in the middle of a, of a story here, we kind of got to understand what's happening around it so that we have greater context for what's actually happening and what we're reading this morning. And so um, the, the going on, like what happened before what Tyler read is kind of the history of Israel up to that point is uh, the, the highlights are uh, uh, the people of Israel, which the story is about, uh, were slaves in Egypt. They were enslaved to Egypt. They were God's people. God promised to keep them, to bless them. Um, and they were slaves in Egypt at this point. And um, Moses one of the the man that God called to lead his people to be their prophet and their their mediator, Uh, God God used Moses to lead them out of that slavery and into a new land. And kind of what happened was they, uh, sorry, (laughs) Um, God singled out this people to be his people, and Moses led them out of slavery, and um, through Moses, God worked a bunch of miracles. God uh, spoke through Moses to both the Israelites and to the Egyptians. And it was, as they were slaves in Egypt, God warned the, warned the Egyptians through Moses that if they didn't release his people, the Israelites, as slaves, if he, they didn't release them, then he was going to bring calamity on them. And so it was through Moses that God worked all these miracles, these plagues, uh, to the people of Egypt to finally release Israel out of slavery. And as they were escaping, it was through Moses that Moses outstretched arm that God parted a sea, the Red Sea, and the Israelites passed through it. And it was the, uh, the kind of the highlight, the cool thing about this is that God was leading them out of something calamitous, something broken, enslavement, bondage, 
and he was leading them into something special. And that something special was something promised to Abraham a century or a millennia ago. Uh, and it was, it's the promised land. God was leading them out of slavery and into the promised land. And soon, as the Israelites escaped Israel, as God used Moses in these major ways to bring miracles and to, to talk to uh, Israel, the, the Egyptians and to his people, to go up on a mountain and bring them the law, God did all these things through Moses and brought them to the, pro- the edge of the promised land. And as they arrived at the promised land, the land that God had promised to give them, the rest, their place of comfort, the place that God told Abraham that would be theirs, um, they arrived, and when God told them to go take it, they were afraid. They were fearful. In fact, they had more fear in what was in front of them in this promised land than they had faith and belief in God. Their fear overcame their belief in the promise that God made to Abraham, the promise that God made to Moses. And all but two of their representatives, all but two of the representatives feared those nations more than they feared God. And so God made the whole nation of Israel to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. In fact, 40 years specifically because God demanded that every, that the whole generation that was slaves in Egypt and that escaped Egypt would not enter the promised land, including their leader, Moses. It was because of their lack of faith in the promise of God that the whole nation wandered the desert for 40 years and they would not be able to see the land that God had given them. Except for the two men. The two men that believed God more than they feared the people in front of them. And those two men were Caleb and Joshua, the the topic of our story this morning. Which brings us to the moment where Tyler read in Joshua 1, and I want to read verse 1 really quickly. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. So, we find ourselves in this story. Moses dies. Moses, this great leader, this great hero, this great miracle worker, the man that God spoke through, the man that brought them the law, the man that helped make them a civil society, Moses dies, marking the moment that God had told them would happen. The moment that a generation would pass away, Moses would die, and they could then enter the promised land. That's the moment we find ourselves in history here. Verse 1 is a transition from wandering in the desert to the delivery of God's promise of this land. And the story of Joshua this morning has kind of three parts to it, three main parts. And the first part is God speaking to Joshua. The second part is Joshua speaking to the people of Israel. And the third part is the people of Israel responding to Joshua. And inside of those, those, those discourses, we, we're going to get three kind of highlights. The first is the faithfulness of God. The second is our faithful work. And the third is a faithful hope. The faithfulness of God, our faithful work, and a faithful hope. So the first part of our story tonight, the faithfulness of God. So Moses has just passed away, this great leader, the great prophet, and God replaces him with Joshua. Let's read verses 2 through 4. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, this is God speaking. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. So this right here is God speaking to Joshua. This is God giving Joshua the the reins to the kingdom. He's giving Joshua the the leadership over his people as he leads them into this, this promised land. 
Uh, God is giving Israel a new mediator, someone else who talks to God on their behalf, someone else who leads them in battle, someone who leads them into this new land. And remember, they've been wandering the desert for 40 years, right? The generation that came out of Egypt, they've passed away. And so most of the people that God is going to be talking to here through Joshua, they never really got to experience the glory and the power of their God. They never really got to see their God work the miracles in Egypt, part the Red Sea, or bring water and manna and quail in a desert. And now they're expected, this, this generation of people who've only heard the stories of, of, of Egypt, who've only heard the stories of the miracles of God, they're expected to pick everything up and go and conquer a territory across the Jordan that brought so much fear to their parents and so much fear to the previous generation. They're expected to go fight and conquer a people probably more equipped and more well-prepared than they are, these sons and daughters of former slaves. Now, these circumstances aren't exactly ideal for a people who just lost their miracle-working prophet, leader, mediator. This isn't exactly ideal for them. What a hard time for these people. Wandering in the desert for 40 years, their prophet, their ruler, the great Moses dying, now expected to go and do something that requires so much courage and strength, to go and do something that provokes so much fear, that provokes so much fear in their parents. And what a hard time for Joshua. The guy just lost his mentor. The first verse, the first verse tells us Joshua was a servant of Moses. He was his friend, his mentor, his leader. What a hard time for the people of Israel and the people and, and for Joshua. But I imagine that as well as how hard this was, it was probably also a moment of excitement, right? Like these people have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. They've heard the stories of God doing all these great things of Moses. Now they have a new leader, and they finally get to enter the land that God promised to them. They finally get to participate and witness the miracles of their great kind king and ruler in God. They're at the starting line of some, a whole new experience for their people, a whole new adventure for Israel. There must have been a lot of anticipation as well as what was going on in their fear. It's kind of a paradox of emotions, right? The, on one hand, the, the fear of entering this land and fighting, just going to war. <laughs> I imagine that was fearful. And, 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 and the, the tragedy of losing a generation, and losing Moses as their leader. And then on the other, the excitement of getting to witness and participate in the glorious work of God, getting to see it for themselves, getting to experience it for themselves. Going from wanderers in this desert for 40 years to finally having a home, a place to call their own. After all the waiting, all the anticipation, all the stories, after the loss of Moses, they finally stand on the doorstep of something they've only ever imagined or heard stories of. Harper is the name of my daughter. She's 15 months now. She's really cute. Um, she, uh, I remember when Jesslyn and I uh, got pregnant and uh, kind of the, the weeks leading up to giving birth, uh, Jesslyn and I had been really, really praying for a long time to, that, that God would give us a little boy or a little girl. And... Um, I remember finding out and how excited we were, like, man, the, the joy, the, just the sheer joy of finding out that we're going to, man, we're going to have that little girl. 
I remember the ultrasound, finding out she was a girl, and then finally giving her her name, and then looking forward to meeting her, looking forward to her first words and her first steps, and getting to meet my little girl, the, ex the excitement and the joy, the anticipation. Gosh, I also remember the terror, <laughs> having a kid in our life changing forever, not getting to do all of the hobbies that I held so dearly. Life was going to change forever, man. I, I even remember the, like, there was a couple of moments where you realize that you are responsible for the life of another soul. Like, that's terrifying. See, maybe, maybe you've had those experiences, too, where maybe it's not a, the birth of a kid or... Maybe it's just marriage. Maybe getting married. There's anticipation and excitement. There's also fear that you have to give your life to somebody else. It's not your own anymore. Maybe it's going to college. Maybe it's your first year in college, and it's the, the, the fear and terror of having to go to a new city that you visited once, you know, in the spring for three days, and now you're expected to put down roots and make friends and get a job and study well. Maybe it's your leader and prophet and mediator and friend passing away and now God expects you to lead your people into a land full of hostile and violent enemies and in those moments that we all experience to various degrees I mean I don't think we can help but wonder like am I going to make it through this am I going to be okay what's that going to be like Fortunately for us, and fortunately for Joshua and the Israelites, God is in hands-free when it comes to his creation or his promises. Look at Joshua 1, verses 5 through 9. Verse 5, still God talking to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do, all, do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, amidst these drastic and changing circumstances for the people of Israel and for Joshua, God isn't abandoning his people. He's not leaving them to figure it out themselves. He's not stepping away from the promises that he made to them. After the death of their great prophetic leader, God's giving them a new leader in Joshua. Look at what verse 5 says. He says, Just as I was with Moses... Just as I was with Moses, so I will also be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God promises never to leave his people, and so he doesn't. He gives them a new mediator, a new man that will lead them, that will talk to God on their behalf. God promises to be with them, present and faithful. Faithful to do exactly what he promised to Abraham, faithful to do exactly what he promised to Moses, faithful to do exactly what he is promising to Joshua. It's the faithfulness of God that drives this text. And picking up right after that is verse 6, which says, Be strong and courageous. 
for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Now that's, the, if you didn't notice when Tyler read it, that, that phrase, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, is in there like four times. That's the verse that everyone knows from Joshua 1. That's the verse that's etched into coffee cups and burnt into wood signs at craft stores and on Facebook bios. Be strong and courageous. But the reality of those verses is you cannot separate verse 6 from verse 5. The faithfulness of God drives the strength and courage of Joshua. It is precisely because God is never wavering in his promises that Joshua can find the strength and courage to remain obedient to God and chase his glory and lead his people. God's command to Joshua for strength and courage isn't some uh, stubborn willfulness in the face of battle. It's not, a, uh, it's not a strength or courage in his own ability to lead or his own tactics as a general. It's not his endurance in the face of a defiant people. The strength of Joshua is believing God. Believing God when he says he will be there. Believing God when he says he will never leave or abandon them. Believing God that he will deliver them through the hard struggle of crossing that Jordan and fighting those battles and taking that land. See, when we read these verses through our Western eyes, we, we, or see those, those coffee cups and woodburned signs, we think strength and courage, and we think strength in battle or uh, and, and will in war, determination in the face of uncertainty. Maybe strength and courage as you read those verses is things like integrity or good character in the face of, 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 of trouble and hard circumstances. Maybe kindness in the face of unkindness. Maybe sacrifice for your friends and family. And certainly many of those things are good and many of those things are obedience. Many of those things are commanded of us in God's word. But the true strength and courage that God is talking about here has very little to do with us. The true strength and courage here has to do with believing in the promises of God regardless of whether your circumstances are static or fluid like the Israelites. Whether you are in a season of comfort and security or in a season of change and transition, God will always remain faithful. You see, more times than not, our problem isn't that we don't think we're strong enough. It's that we don't think God is strong enough. See, for those who believe in Jesus, God will always be after our good, even when all we can see in those moments is terror and fear. And that terror and fear overwhelms any kind of anticipation or any kind of excitement if we would just trust and believe that God is who he says he is and will deliver us like he always has, there is peace and rest in those moments. See, God will never waver in his commitment to his glory, but he's also never going to waver in his commitment to deliver his people. Joshua's strength and courage is in his faith in believing God, and it is also in his obedience to the word of God. Let's look at Joshua 1, 7, and 8 again. Still God speaking to Joshua. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do, all, to do according to all that is written in it. For when you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. 
See, in this unique moment of transition for the people of Israel, God is commissioning Joshua, promises to be with him, promises strength and courage, but he doesn't promise those things apart from Joshua's role in obedience and faithfulness to God. Joshua's fulfillment of the mission God gave him is dependent upon the promise and presence and faithfulness of God. And yet he is still given a task of obedience and faithfulness himself. God knows this, this, this moment is, is, is rending for the people of Israel and for Joshua. And so he promises to be there. He promises to give them strength and courage. But he also commands Joshua to be obedient and faithful himself. Joshua's obedience is a response to the guarantee that God will always be with Joshua and God will always be faithful. And that's a promise that he also makes to us. Look at Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Or, yeah, excuse me. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with whatever you have for he has said I will never leave you or forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me that's a quote from the verses we were reading in Joshua 1 see when your circumstances shift like the Israelites whether they be to that degree or not God will be with you when your building is taken away by the city and you have to find a new home the uncertain shifting of those circumstances, God will be with you. When you graduate college and you have to leave your friends and your family, or your friends your family, when you graduate college and you have to enter this new season of life, you have to make new friends, you have to work instead of going to school. When you find it hard to find where you fit in anymore, because all your friends are still in school and God pro promised to you is the same promise he made to Joshua, to be there, to be present, to be faithful. And he promises strength and courage. But the thing is, is as with Joshua, the other side of God's faithfulness to us and to deliver us is our faithfulness to be obedient and faithful to him. You cannot separate the two. Joshua couldn't separate the mission God gave him and the good things God was going to deliver to them. We can't do that either. We cannot take the promise of God's kindness and his faithfulness and his mercy and his grace and yet leave aside our responsibility to chase wholeheartedly the glory of God. Regardless of whether our circumstances are ideal or not. Regardless of whether they're shifting, static, whether we're in a season of comfort and security or whether we're in a season of hard transitions. See, we can't put those verses on mugs and, and Facebook and expect to live our best life and separate the good promises of God from our responsibility to pursue God's glory. As if, if that was the case, then God would exist to satisfy us, not the other way around. And if that's what you think, or that's how you've been living, then the reality is, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to get through whatever hard circumstances lay in front of you. You're going you're, you're to take the promises of God as the, to, to be good to you, to give you good things, to help you, to, be, to help you have security and comfort and joy and, and push through things and you're going to leave aside your responsibility to his glory and you're going to get through it and then the rest of your life your faith is going to be about you. You're going to read this and you're going to look for you before you look for God or Jesus. You're going to look at the promises of God and look for yourself not the faithfulness of God. Or the second thing is 
you're going to go through something really hard, a season of temptation, be a loss, something really, really difficult, and you're not going to make it out the other side whole, and you're going to end up frustrated and angry and bitter. You're going to shake your fist at God and ask, why weren't you there for me? We cannot separate God's faithfulness to bring us good, to bring us joy, to bring us peace and rest from our responsibility to pursue with every fiber of our being the glory and honor of God. Which leads us to the second part of our story, Joshua speaking to the people of Israel, and where we see our faithful work in response to what God has given us. Um, Moses has died, but the promises of God have not. Um, It may seem that way to Israel, it may seem hard and challenging, but God is faithful and appoints and commissions Joshua to take Moses' place. Um, as I said, first we saw God speaking to Joshua, and now we get to see Joshua speaking to the people of Israel, beginning his leadership, beginning his role as their leader. Let's read Joshua 1, verses 10 and 11. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your position, your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan and go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Um, as much as these were trying times for Israel and, and Joshua, it was equally, or as much as these trying times were, as much as these were trying times for Joshua, they were equally as trying for Israel. Remember, these are the children and grandchildren of former slaves. They didn't get to see the miracles. They didn't get to experience them themselves. And if they, if they were little and did, they probably don't remember it. They didn't have the experience of deliverance personally. They'd been wandering for 40 years. And so Joshua immediately takes this roll up. He tells him, get ready. Pack up three days. Get ready because God's going to deliver. God's going to deliver us that land, that promised land. And remember last time they were this close? Their parents, Moses, their representatives, they feared God, more, or they feared the people that they were to go to battle with more than they feared God. They lost faith and trust in the Lord. And then they were sent to wander. So Joshua says, three days, equip yourselves, arm up, get ready, pack your provisions, and we're going to go to battle. We're going to cross the river and go to battle. The moment of promise is across this river. I think oftentimes we read these stories that are uh, not hard to understand what's going on, but hard to find meaning in it. Like, as, as post-cross 21st century Christians, we read these stories, and it's hard to find meaning, and it doesn't go over our head. We just don't, we don't find, we don't mine it for what's there, this deep, deep meaning. I mean, these are, this is a, a specific people thousands of years ago in a land in the Middle East trying to take a land they were, they, they were told they were going to have thousands of years before the internet or Netflix or whatever. But the, there is meaning to us in every letter of God's word. And the writer of Hebrews is going to show that to us in chapter 3 and 4. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19. That's not Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 19. This is a pop, verses 12 and 13 are a really popular verse as well. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence, firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Verse 16, for we, or for who, were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. This is the New Testament writer of Hebrews drawing meaning for the New Testament post-crossed Christian out of this story of the disobedience of the people going into the promised land and the follow-through of Joshua and his people coming out of the promised land, or coming into the promised land, rather. Reading on in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering this rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message that they had heard did not benefit them because they were not unified by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore by my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of this world. See, the writer of Hebrews draws this line directly from these, the, the Israelites in the story we're reading and to the New Testament post-cross Christian. To Israel, God was going to deliver them finally into this rest that they had been promised. Finally, they're going to get victory over their enemies and take the land that God a thousand years promised to Abraham. It would be a season of struggle. There'd be war. It'd be fighting. There'd be battle. It'd be hard. It'd be difficult. It would weigh on them. They would be stretched so far beyond their capacity that the only courage and strength they could find is in their leader, Joshua, and in the God that is going to deliver them. And God has made that same promise of delivery to to Christians, the Hebrew writer says to deliver us to a destination of promise and rest. For you and I, there are seasons of war and struggle against sin. Seasons where that sin seems so overwhelming that we can't deal with it. Maybe you're in a season where you're realizing your sin is much bigger than you thought it was. That it's affecting your life a lot more than you thought it was. That it's more challenging to overcome than you thought it was. Maybe you're beginning to question whether God really is faithful, if he really is there, if he really is there to help you. Maybe you're just so frustrated with your lack of growth and sanctification that you can't help but give up. You can't help but find apathy. That you can't, you just can't fight anymore. As the source of strength for Israel was the faithfulness of God that God was who he says he was, that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. The only way to the other side of those fights, those battles, those struggles, whether it be a sin, whether it be a season of transition, the only way to the other side is the strength and courage, not in yourself, not in your own wit, not in your own intelligence, not in your own willpower, not in your own piety. The only way for the other side is through Jesus. The destination of, the re- of rest for the people of Israel through Joshua was a land promised them to Abraham a thousand years prior. And the destination of rest for the people of God through Jesus is an eternity he promised us from the beginning of time. 
See, holding the promise of Hebrews and the promise of Joshua together, there's a special kind of assurance and hope. A special kind of assurance for those that trust in Jesus. There's a unique peace that can be found whether your building is taken away, whether you move across the country, or whether you're in a season of just deep and broken sin. But sometimes for Christians who have that assurance, it's easy to take it for granted. <laughs> Much like I, I took Missoula for, I grew up in Missoula. Love this place. Didn't really love this place growing up here though. My wife and I moved to Los Angeles, California. I don't recommend living there. <laughs> but for a couple of years we lived there and Missoula became so special. We took it for granted. We took for granted the mountains and the beauty of it. Sometimes we can take for granted that assurance and that hope that God gives us in the gospel. We enter this state of, state of self-focus where all we can see is me and mine, where what concerns us is ourselves or our families and not those around us. In other words, the only kind of sin that concerns us, the only kind of transitions and changes that really move us to act are the ones that affect us. Sometimes we can twist that confidence that Jesus gives, that assurance that God gives in Hebrews and Joshua into complacency and apathy. And that's exactly what Joshua warns against in the, in the, in the rest of his discourse to the people of Israel. Let's read chapter, or chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Chapter, verse 12, And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. See, the reason Joshua singles out these two and a half tribes is because God had already given these two and a half tribes land of their own. When they came up to the promised land for the first time and they were denied entry, these three tribes saw land that, that, that they really liked, that worked for their needs and of livestock and, and, and the size of it. And so they went to God and went to Moses and asked, can we have this land? And God was gracious and merciful and gave them that land. But he gave them that land under condition that when the time came for the rest of Israel to fight for their land, to go to battle for their land, that they would take up arms for their brothers. That they would take up arms and fight for the rest of their brothers and sisters that they've already been given by God. Joshua's reminding them of that oath that they made to fight for the land and the rest of their brothers and sometimes the assurance of eternity for the Christian can make us complacent and apathetic. I mean, you've got, if you're a believer, sometimes you, you have that, like you got your eternity. You have that assurance of inheritance through Jesus. We've been promised an eternity of joy, satisfaction, and peace. And so the, the, the need to fight so hard, to risk so much, our sinful apathy, fear can overcome us. So earlier we said we could not separate the strength and courage God gives us from our role in obeying God. 
Now we can't separate the promise of rest that God gives the Christian from our role in helping others achieve that rest. God has given the Christian an eternity of joy, given us salvation through the gospel, and we cannot separate what he's given us in salvation from striving for the holiness and salvation of our neighbors and our brothers and our sisters. Contained in this same promise is the the promise to deliver us and our promise to fight for our brothers. See, if 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 you feel like you've arrived at a place of comfort in your walk with the Lord, maybe God has graciously helped you really conquer some sin in your life and you're, at a, you, you, you're really not, you can't identify a lot that you really wrestle with. Or maybe, maybe more practically and materially, God's given you uh, financial security, job security, life security. You're comfortable with your community group. You're comfortable with your neighbors and your friends and your family. You're in a place where there isn't a lot of change. You're in a place where there isn't a lot of a dynamic transition. Perhaps God's speaking to you through these three tribes. They left their families and their livestock and their rest to go to literal war, risking their lives, their rest, their families for the rest of their brothers and sisters. How far are you willing to go to love your neighbor? What is it worth to you to walk through the trenches of someone else's struggle in discipleship? What is it worth to you to help someone else see the gospel is beautiful and restful and is the answer to the, the, the turmoil and struggle of a sinful heart? What is it worth to you to share the gospel with your unbelieving neighbor, maybe giving them a chance at cherishing Jesus as you do? Our war isn't against foreign powers that occupy some land. Our war is against the sin that occupies the real estate in our hearts, the hearts of our neighbors, and the blindness of the unbelievers in our world and in our spheres of influence. And the kind of discipleship and evangelism and care that is required to dive into that sin and to dive into that war might not be as obviously costly as going to actual war as the Israelites did, but it's eternally costly. It's costly for our comfort. Costly for our rest. To close out our text this morning, we have the the three tribes of 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 Reuben, of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, responding to Joshua, giving them, um, or give, which leads us to our third and final point this night. This night, I usually do this on Wednesdays with college students, and it's night, so it's not night; it's morning. I get that. Um, our final point, which is a faithful hope. So let's read Joshua chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. And they answered Joshua. This is the, them responding to him and, and, his, and his leadership. All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, wherever you command him, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. His last words, there it is again. Only be strong and courageous. It's almost as if, you know, they're, they're talking to Joshua to be strong and courageous. It's almost as if they're telling or asking Joshua to be strong and courageous. Which would make sense, right? Look back at verse 17. 
just as we, these are the Israelites talking, right? Just as we, the Israelites, obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. I don't remember the Israelites obeying Moses in all things. Wasn't it precisely because of their fear and sin that they weren't actually allowed to enter the promised land? Wasn't it because of their grumbling and complaining and discontentment that Moses struck a rock to bring water instead of speaking to it as God commanded? Aren't these an obstinate and willfully disengaged and discontent people? These Israelites aren't exactly known for their unwavering obedience and faithfulness to obey, as they say they have. It's almost as if they can't obey on their own or remain faithful on their own. It's almost as if they need someone else to be strong and courageous for them. See, in this story, Joshua is their mediator, the one who God talks to, the one that leads them, the one that carries their burdens, that brings them through this the struggle of war, the one that God set aside to be their strength and courage. Mercifully, God has given Christians a mediator or two, a mediator or two, a leader and high priest of our own, one who is strong and courageous for us as Joshua was for the Israelites. Jesus is the one leading us into our rest, our promised land, a powerful and mighty king who fought the ultimate war against sin and won. Who now empowers us to fight those lingering effects of living in a fallen world, being fallen ourselves. The hope of Israel was in the faithfulness of their leader, Joshua. And the hope of the Christian is in the faithfulness and obedience of Jesus. King Jesus. I want to close by reading Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. I really like famous verses this morning. <laughs> Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came, he's talking to his disciples, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here it is, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I will be with you always. It's the same promise God made to Joshua. And it's another promise God made to us where we have a role to play. A specific role. To make disciples, to share the gospel, to wade through sin in discipleship. Fall is always a, a season of, of transition and change, especially students coming and um, kids going back to school. It's always a hard season to kind of get back into and find a rhythm and find, you know, a, 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 a rhythm of faithfulness to God. And this fall particularly with what we have going on at our church, the, the building, <laughs> it's a big deal. But Jesus' promise to his disciples in the Great Commission is to be with us. We can move forward and trust that Jesus is behind every hard and costly decision because he has promised us he will be. A promise that doesn't minimize our role, doesn't minimize the role he's called us to in our faithful following him and helping others follow him. God is faithful when things are good. God is faithful when things are hard. God is faithful in seasons of comfort and security, and God is faithful in seasons of change and transition 
so trust. Find strength and courage and faith in believing God as Moses, or Joshua did. Trust that God is good. Trust and obey his call to the role and mission he's given us in making disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for um, your word and yeah, your word. <laughs> this giving us an, a story and a narrative of your people and your history that we might understand you deeper. That we might grasp the depth of how faithful you've been to such an unfaithful people. God, I pray that as we consider the call on Joshua to reflect on that faithfulness and find the strength and courage in who God is, not who he is, I pray that we consider finding our strength and courage in that same kind of faithfulness that you've had in Esther, Jesus. Father, I pray that we'd, we'd be obedient to your call to help our brothers and sisters fight their battles against sin and complacency. Lord, help us consider as on a holiday weekend, a Labor Day, an extra day of, of rest, Lord. I pray as we consider our rest, we might consider others' rest as well. And how tumultuous and challenging and hard someone else's life might be. And how we can give the gospel away. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this, this book. We thank you for Joshua. Uh, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.